This is Mesa Verde Voices, a podcast about the ancient history of the Four Corners and why it matters today. We are your two hosts. I'm Callie Carswell. And I'm Kayla Eiler. And here's what's in store this season. We've got stories about people, places, public lands, science, culture, and ethics, agriculture, and tourism. And, well, we should just listen, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're looking at the ethics of preservation. All right, here we go. If you've ever visited Mesa Verde National Park, you've likely heard the fantastic story of its discovery when two ranchers were caught in a snowstorm. It was a cold day in December, and they were searching unforgiving canyons for lost cattle. They approached a cliff and rode carefully to the edge. And when they got there, they peeked over it. And the cows, were they down there? Well, no. And they actually didn't discover anything at all. Okay, I'm intrigued. Go on. So as the story goes, this canyon that they're looking into, it's really steep. And there's this big sandstone lip at the top that cuts back into the wall. It forms a deep alcove, which is like an amphitheater in the side of the canyon. And there, before them, in that alcove, lay an abandoned palace. Wow. Yeah, so it was this huge stone structure with over a hundred rooms. It looked like an entire village could have lived there. So is this one of the sites in the National Park today? Yep, that's right. It was Cliff Palace. For years, this is the popular story that was told about the discovery of Mesa Verde. The problem with that? It's not really true. The ranchers were led to Cliff Palace by a friend, a Ute man named Akowitz. But we'll come back to that in a minute. First, let's fast forward a few years. That day changed the lives of these two ranchers. Their names were Richard Wetherill and Charles Mason, and they became amateur archaeologists. They saw places like Cliff Palace as abandoned and essentially claimed them as their own. They explored cliff dwellings, took artifacts and human remains from them, and they were instrumental in convincing the federal government to make Mesa Verde a national park. It was actually the first park designated to, quote, preserve the works of man. Right, by Teddy Roosevelt in 1906. And after that, government employees cleared the largest sites in the park. They removed the artifacts and put them on display in museums. They also decided to preserve the structures. That means they stabilized a bunch of walls so visitors can snap photos of them or even climb around inside of them, all to preserve the sites for the enjoyment and education of the public. That, in many Americans' view, was the highest and best use of this land. And now, let me tell you a different story. A different story? Well, a different way at looking at the same place. For thousands of years, humans have inhabited the Colorado Plateau, developing sophisticated cities and social systems. This high desert landscape had everything they needed to thrive. Stone to process food and build homes, fertile soil to grow crops, plants to weave blankets and clothing, clay to create vessels. All these things come from the earth and will go back to the earth in time. All things have a life and a death, even the cities and homes, even places like Cliff Palace. After the builders of these homes move on, they remain connected to these places. New groups of people move in. The Utes come into the canyons around Mesa Verde, and sometimes they choose to share their knowledge of the place with others, like when a Ute man named Akowitz decided to share a particular cliff dwelling with Richard Wetherill and Charles Mason. So whose story is that? That's a story you might have heard from the people who built Mesa Verde, a story about its past and future that's consistent with their worldview. And that last bit, Well, that's the real story of how Mesa Verde was quote-unquote discovered. So, I noticed that these stories are not the same. 
these stories are not the same. And that's the thing about Mesa Verde. It's a place that has been shaped by different cultures from different worldviews, and sometimes by their prejudices. The park doesn't tell that misleading discovery story anymore, and it's doing more than it used to to collaborate with tribes on management and interpretation. But a push and pull still exists. How so? So a lot of us think of places like Mesa Verde as things that should be protected and preserved, which means not bulldozing Cliff Palace and building condos there, but also actively making sure it continues to exist, right? Right. So not letting nature take its course, not letting the mud walls gradually dissolve back into the earth. Right. The challenge is that the descendants of the people who built these structures, many of them believe that nature should be allowed to take its course. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the ethics of preservation. We'll look at how the park is grappling with these options at one of its most popular sites. And we'll also visit the Puye Cliff Dwellings in New Mexico. There, the decisions are all made by the descendants of the people who built the dwellings, because they're on land that they control. All right, where to first? Let's start at Spruce Tree House. So, we've made it to Mesa Verde. It might rain on us. Okay, so this is the Spruce Tree House. We are standing on the rim of the canyon overlooking Spruce Tree House, which is our third largest so-called cliff dwelling in the park. Spruce Tree House is one of the largest sites in the park, and its biggest appeal has been that, one, it's located right behind the park museum, so it's easy to explore on a tight schedule, and two, this is the only cliff dwelling in the park you can access without a ranger and a tour ticket. And the thing that people really love about it is that it has a reconstructed kiva that they can actually climb down into. Have you been in it? Yeah, I remember the first time I went to Mesa Verde was when I was in high school. And me and my friend that were on this road trip, we walked down the paved trail to Spruce Tree House and climbed into the kiva. And I don't remember anything else about visiting the park except for climbing down that ladder and looking around in that space and coming back out. So what's happening at Spruce Tree House now? Well, everything seemed fine until a couple years ago. We have some problems with the alcove. That's Tim Hovasak, Cultural Resources Program Manager at Mesa Verde National Park. I interviewed him at the edge of Spruce Canyon, overlooking Spruce Tree House. And it was a little windy outside. Several years ago. In October of 2015. One of the interpretive staff here at the park uh, noticed some material, some rock-like material that was falling down from the roof of the alcove. Spruce Tree House is in one of these sandstone alcoves that all of Mesa Verde's cliff dwellings are in. And the stuff that was falling from the roof of the alcove? It, it's not rock, it's concrete. Okay, so at Spruce Tree House, there is a natural crack in the rock above the alcove. It's been there for at least as long as the Park Service has been around. It's 120 feet long, and at some points, it's five feet deep. And over time, it'll keep getting bigger because water is slowly eroding the rock. Okay, so why is that a problem? It's a problem because it means the roof of the alcove is unstable. Literally at any point, the cliff face could collapse altogether, right onto Spruce Tree House. Okay, that sounds bad. Yeah. So in the past, the park has tried to fill that crack. We did a little research. We looked at some old photographs, and we found out that 
The crack actually went all the way through the alcove to the rim above, and it had been filled in the 1960s with concrete. So the park got an engineer involved, and they decided to close Spruce Tree House. It was felt that the hazard of additional material falling out of the arch and actually the possibility of a, the entire arch collapsing at some point was um, too great a risk. So here's the problem. Doing the engineering work that's needed to reopen Spruce Tree House, there are some ethical issues involved. A good question is whether or not anything should be done at all. Uh, in other words, if we should just allow nature to take its course. This idea, letting nature take its course, means allowing the alcove to potentially collapse. A lot of visitors are really surprised that the park would even consider this. But it is what some Pueblo people want, and they're the descendants of the people that built Spruce Tree House in the first place. These prehistoric places are very much alive to us. This is Dan Simplicio. My name is Dan Simplicio. And you are? From the Pueblo of Zuni. Dan works at an archeological research center near Mesa Verde called Crow Canyon. And he's Zuni, one of the 19 Pueblo groups in New Mexico, plus one in Arizona and one in Texas, that trace their heritage back to Mesa Verde, to places like Spruce Tree House. The Zuni people call themselves Ashiwi which means the flesh of the flesh. And when we understand that concept of what it means, flesh of the flesh, is that it's, it's our flesh as humans to one day go back to become the mother's flesh again, which is the natural world. And um, how she also, understanding how she exists and lives and gives life, and that's the whole purpose. It's a natural understanding that things deteriorate just as much as life and death of ourselves. So for Dan and many other descendants of Mesa Verde, they'd prefer if nothing was done to stabilize the sites. Just let them collapse when the time comes. Objects like baskets, pots, even buildings have a life and a death. They come from the earth and should return there in time. So it seems like this raises some questions, like what's really being preserved here and for whom? Exactly. Now, it's important to point out that Spruce Tree House is just one example of how sites are managed at Mesa Verde. There are almost 6,000 known archaeological sites in the park. Only a small percentage of those are open to the public, and preservation work is only happening at a handful of these sites. So it's at certain places, like Spruce Tree House, that Tim Hovasak is faced with these questions. And ultimately, the park has decided to try to stabilize the alcove again. Tim told me that that comes down to the purpose of the park, to educate visitors. Mesa Verde is a national park, and, and it has preserved uh, these places for public education. And, and I think, it, I think it's, it's important to just to learn about other cultures, and it doesn't really matter what culture you're learning about. And, and for people that uh, in this country that don't have that sort of interaction with um, different cultures, um, different perspectives on life, coming to Mesa Verde can be a very eye-opening experience. And anyway, it's my job to keep these places running. 
park has completed the planning phase of the engineering work for stabilization. The next step is to present the plan in Washington, D.C. If the plan is approved, the final step would be a tribal consultation with the descendant tribes. The project is slated for completion sometime around 2020. Okay, where to next, Kayla? Well, after learning about this debate over Spruce Tree House, I wanted to go down to New Mexico to Puya Cliff Dwellings because I wanted to see how Santa Clara Pueblo navigates these decisions on its own land. On the trail today, you're going to notice a lot of different artifacts. That's Alex Suazo. I am the operations manager for Puya Cliff Dwellings. We took Alex's tour of the cliff dwellings on a warm fall day. You're more than welcome to take as many pictures as you want. I do charge a fee if you take a picture for me. I'm just messing with you guys. The cliff dwellings are in northern New Mexico, near the Rio Grande, where a lot of Pueblo people eventually settled after leaving Mesa Verde. All right, let's go ahead and hike up a little ways. Puye is actually one of the largest cliff dwellings on the continent. In our native language, which is Tewa, uh, Puye means where the rabbits gather. So that's the name of the location, not the name of the people. Now, there's a reason we're on a tour with Alex and not just wandering around on our own. Any questions? Santa Clara's approach to preserving their own heritage has changed over time and in reaction to some bad experiences. Edgar Hewitt was our first archaeologist to do work here at Puye in 1907. He first approached the Pueblo around 1905. And what he did was basically just kind of lay down his ideas on what he was going to do. So there was a lot of pros and cons for an outside archaeologist to come onto native land and ancestral land and basically do a lot of work and digging and stuff. Um, but the Pueblo people of Santa Clara decided to let him do it in 1907. And during his whole uh, excavation, you know, he did teach us a lot because he taught us a lot about how taller people were, how their homes were being built. Um, that's where this archaeologist kind of helped us out, give us a better understanding of how our people lived and stuff. And then in 1910, you know, he was uh, taking and removing a lot of artifacts physically off the site and sending them off to museums and university for money. And that's where the Pueblo found out and got really upset and stopped his excavation. So like today, we don't do a lot of diggings anymore uh, just because of that trust issue with archaeologists. And like I said, you know, all it is is basically letting this stuff rest too. We don't really want to disturb a lot of the areas. Eventually, the Pueblo started allowing visitors to take self-guided tours of the cliffs for a small fee. The idea was to generate revenue for the Pueblo. But left to their own devices, people graffitied the walls of the dwellings and took artifacts. So in 2000, the Pueblo closed the dwellings entirely to the public. When we look at the cliffside, what we're looking at are pretty much the homes that belong to the uh, Tewa people. Santa Clara has done very little restoration or stabilization work at Puye. But in the early 1900s, that first archaeologist, Edgar Hewitt, worked to reconstruct and replaster some sites, including one building we saw. Um, but over the years, due to like the weather that we've been getting, you know, a lot of the area kind of collapsed right in front of you. And then those students were the ones that refixed this area. The students he's talking about are part of something called the Youth Conservation Corps. It's a program that pays students from Santa Clara Pueblo and other tribes to do reconstruction work. So even though this building was originally reconstructed by Edgar Hewitt, it's now used to pass cultural lessons down to young people in Santa Clara. Uh, that was so that the students have a better understanding of how their people used to live, but also how they used to work. So, you know, the mud mortar that they made back in the day was just regular mud. But what we make today is the same thing, but we add more like sand and stuff to it. 
which is more denser against the rains and the, the snow and stuff. So there is active preservation going on at Puye. Well, yes, but the philosophy that guides how and what is preserved differs from Mesa Verde National Parks. Part of the reason for doing the work at Puye is to pass down a set of knowledge and skills to the next generation of the people, since they are the ones doing the work. And while parts of the site at Puye have been reconstructed, it's limited. This one house featured on the tour, as well as a number of walls on the Mesa Top Village, are the extent. Like I said, this whole cliff's about a mile and a half long, and there's some areas where it's just going to fall apart, and there's nothing we can do about it. It happens for a reason. This philosophy is similar to what we heard from Dan Simplicio earlier. I was taught that you let it be, you know, you let it how it is. Um, you don't really put in work or disturb it a lot because it's going to go when it's going to go. Because like I said, you know, a lot of these places are very much to a life. It has its own life. And if it wants to live, it'll continue to live. If it doesn't, you know, that's when you see things break down. Alex told us that he started guiding tours at Puye to earn some extra money. But it's given him a much greater connection to the site than he had anticipated. Puye, to me, is basically, I said it before, but I'll say it again, is my ancestral home. This is my home. I feel like a responsibility to take care of it. And that's why I'm in this position, is so that I can um, come up with new ways to either market or bring in revenue, but also to teach uh, the generation of what this area is about. But yeah, to me, it's home. If I could spend a night up here, I would, you know. <laughs> Pueblo people haven't always had a lot of say in the preservation of their heritage on public lands or in how their history is interpreted to the general public. The Park Service, archaeologists, and tribes are now working to change that. But it's a process. It's complicated and imperfect. And we're actually going to explore some related issues in another episode from a different angle, so keep an eye out for it. It's about language and the history of a single word, Anasazi. Okay, thanks, Kayla. Thanks also to Tim Hovasak and James Mason of Mesa Verde National Park. Thanks to Dan Simplicio of Zuni Pueblo. And thanks to Alex Suazo and the Pueblo of Santa Clara. And thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And do us a favor and leave us a review. For more information, visit mesaverdevoices.org. Mesa Verde Voices is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado, in partnership with Mesa Verde National Park and the Mesa Verde Museum Association, with additional support from the Ballantine Family Fund, Aramark, and Concept360.